welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Well, it's great to have you here. I do have a word on my heart and uh, I think it's very poignant for us as men. And it's something I've entitled, um, Before the Rooster Crows. Before the Rooster Crows. And that title is going to become real apparent in just a moment. But I want to read from the text this morning about an account just before Jesus went to the cross and died about a conversation that he had with one of his fellow disciples. This disciple's name was Peter. And Peter was known for being impulsive um, and just shooting his mouth off. And Jesus, just before he's about to be arrested, beaten, battered, bruised and ultimately crucified, he has this little conversation with his disciples. And it simply says in Matthew 26, verse 31, Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And Peter, ever the impulsive one, replies, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter, did I mention, ever the impulsive one, declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. I love this account I love Peter. I'm not here to throw stones at Peter. I think, you know, the key to reading the Bible is recognising who you are in the story. And uh, when you read about the incredible things Jesus did, we're not Jesus. We're the Pharisees. We're Peter making mistakes. We're James and John. We're we're Judas. We're, We're the other guys in the story. And we need to understand that so we can learn some lessons in life. And the thing I uh, am drawn to about what Jesus said, Jesus was ever um, able to connect with his audience. And so knowing that these disciples had come from rural Galilee and knowing very well that they would know the sound of a rooster and the importance of that sound, he speaks their language. And he says to uh, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to disown me three times. Peter knew all about roosters. He knew the sound of a rooster. He knew the importance of the rooster's crow. Roosters were like the uh, alarm clock of today. That annoying noise that you wake up to when it's very early in the morning. That, That was one of the rooster's job, to send out a loud wake up call for you to get out of bed This is the start of a new day to go and check your mouse traps and see if you caught your mouse. And Peter was about to get the wake up call of his life. Because that very night, Jesus was indeed arrested. 
They left the place where they'd had their conversation and had their last supper. And they went off to a garden. And in that garden, a whole heap of soldiers came, led by one of the disciples who had betrayed Jesus. His name was Judas. It's interesting to note that Jesus was so normal that a signal had to be arranged. They were saying, okay, you're going to take us to Jesus, but who is he? They said, well, I'll kiss him on the cheek. That's what, the guy I kiss on the cheek is the guy that you need to arrest. In other words, he didn't have a halo around his head. Jesus didn't have really bright white clothes. He didn't hover everywhere. No, he was like a normal man. He was so normal that the soldiers did not know who to arrest. And so the betrayer had to arrange a signal. And that signal was a kiss on the cheek. And once they recognised who Jesus was, they arrested him. And Peter, impulsive Peter, draws his sword, proceeds to cut off someone's head, misses, gets their ear, Jesus heals this man's ear and then he's taken away. Peter decides to follow at a distance. He's not with Jesus. All the other disciples had scattered, but Peter's kind of somewhere in the middle of where the disciples are and where Jesus is and he follows at a distance. And when he's taken away to be interviewed and asked a whole heap of questions, Peter finds himself... Tired, alone, afraid, confused and cold. And in the midst of this very moment, he looks for a fire to warm himself. And as he's looking for a fire, this little girl, a servant girl, a slave girl, recognises him. See, Peter thinks he's pretty safe. He thinks that nobody recognises who he is. But this little slave girl goes, weren't you with that Jesus guy? And, and, and Peter was so shocked that he'd been recognised, he didn't even think about his answer. Have you ever said something when you don't even think what you're saying? And so before he can even think about what he's saying, he said, no, 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 I wasn't with it. No, not at all. And he proceeds to warm himself. Not, not even recognising for one moment that that's denial number one. It was so insignificant. It was so small. He's warming himself against the fire. Another girl, another servant girl comes up and says, aren't you one of those guys that was following Jesus? And now he gets a little bit panicky because, you know, he, uh, there, there are others listening on and others are now looking at Peter and, and, and he, he says, no, 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 not at all, this is not, not me. And so he moves away to warm himself against another fire. And it's a fire that has around it a particular person that was related to the guy that Peter cut the ear off. He recognises Peter immediately. And he's ticked off because you're the one who hurt my relative. And he goes, surely you were with Jesus. 
Peter goes into panic mode. And he begins to swear and cuss. He goes, damn it! I don't know, leave me alone! May God strike me dead if I know this Jesus guy. And as he's delivering his last word, the rooster crows. And Peter's struck with this realisation. How did that ever happen? Because when he said, I will never deny you, I think he believed it. Been leading this church for 19 years. I've been involved in ministry longer than that. And I've met many people who were never going to do some of the things that they ultimately ended up doing. And the question they always get asked is, how did I get here? And I'm not here to accuse or condemn anyone in this room. And I'm not here to point a finger at Peter. But I think if Peter was here today, he would want us to learn from his mistakes. And so what I want to speak to you about this morning is what we can learn from Peter's life before the rooster crowed. Because there's some things that he did that ultimately led to that moment. It didn't just happen. There was a series of events that led to this moment in his life where he did what he said he would never do. And I think all of us are on that course of doing something we don't want to do if we're not wise. And so there's a few things I want to highlight this morning and then we're done. How does that sound? I'm speaking to everyone in this room, myself included. And the first thing that stands out to me about Peter was that he was talking when he should have been listening. Jesus was saying, I'm about to die. And Peter just interrupts. He's not really listening. And he's just too busy talking. This is, this is a massive mistake for most men. We just jump in. We just blurt out with our thoughts. And Peter says, you're not going to die. And Jesus like, let me finish. And then he starts talking about every one of you is going to be scattered and leave me and abandon me. Every one of you. And Peter just jumps in again. Instead of listening, he just starts talking. He said, I will never do that. Even if all these ones do, I won't. I'll never let you down. I'll die with you. He's too busy talking. He's not listening. Maybe, let me bring it home with this thought. You're driving a car. Your wife's in the front seat. And she says this, honey, I think we need to pull over. I think we're lost. We're not lost. I know exactly where we are. I'm just going the scenic route. This is my advice to every one of us in this room. Humble yourself. Ask for help. Shut up and listen. 
If we can learn anything from Peter's life, it's stop talking and start listening. Humble yourself. Ask for help. Shut up and listen. The second thing I get out of this is that he was unprepared for when his test ultimately came. See, I think the thing that messed up with Peter or messed Peter up was when a little girl came to him. He was not expecting that. I think in his mind, he saw himself standing before Pilate next to Jesus, boldly declaring, yes, I'm with this man. I think if Peter had been standing next to Jesus in front of Pilate and Pilate said, are you with this man? I think with a smile on his face, he would have said, yes, I'm with this man. Do with me as you will. But I think the thing that threw Peter, he did not expect a little girl to come. I mean, this wasn't Pilate. This wasn't Herod. This wasn't Caiaphas. This was none of the religious leaders. This wasn't a soldier. He was completely caught off guard. And so when this little girl comes and says, were you with that guy? He says, no, I don't even for a moment imagine that he considered that as a denial. It was so, it so caught him off guard. See, as men, we love to do big and great things, but we're not prepared to do the little things. Remember talking to a gentleman not too long ago. And he was upset with me. And he said this, I would have done anything for you. Meaning, if someone came into church one day when I was preaching and they threatened my life, I think he would have taken a bullet for me. I do believe that. And that's what I said to him. I do believe you would have taken a bullet for me. But there was lots of things I asked you to do that you didn't do. I asked you to read a book. You didn't read it. See, we're prepared to do the big things, but not the little things. And it's the little things that are going to help us. I read off about 10 things that this guy did not do and they were all little things. And to this day, he still feels like, I don't do anything for that man. But in reality, he didn't do lots of things and they were just the little things. Because as men, we like the glory. I said to God, you do anything? How about you stop sleeping around with that girl? How about that? Let's start there. No, no, no. I'll do anything for you. How about just apologise to your wife? What's that got to do with anything? I'd do anything for you. It's got everything to do with everything. It's not the big things for the most part that are going to trip us up. You know, very few of us, if any at all, are going to go out of this place and rob a bank. That's just stupid, I mean, you know, unless you are planning that. <laughs> They're not the things that are going to trip us up. They're not, the, they're not the things that are going to land us in jail. It's the little cheating on your taxes over a long period of time that you get found out that you end up in jail for the most part. It's the little things. If we can learn anything from Peter's life, we can learn to shut up and listen, 
and be prepared when the test comes. And I think the test will come in the little things more than in the big things. The third thing we can learn is that he didn't appreciate his weaknesses. I've already mentioned that Peter was scared, confused, tired, cold and lonely. And I just want to say none of those things are good foundations for good decisions. If you are scared, tired, cold, lonely, hungry, they're not good foundations for good decisions. My question to you is, do you know your weaknesses? Let me ask you this question. Who is at their best when they're tired? Anyone? Who can say, man, when I'm tired, when I'm really tired, I'm brilliant. Anyone? Is, there, is, there, is anyone here foolish enough to say, yeah, when I'm tired, I'm at my best? I learned this about me a long time ago. As a teenager, I knew this. After 12, I'm not good for anything or anyone. I just knew that. I just learned a long time ago, nothing good happens after 12. And so can I say something to all the young ones here? Why are you up so late if that is the case? We're up to 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. We have all-nighters. And we just wonder, how did this girl end up in bed next to me? And she's not my wife. Uh, I'm not married. And how did that happen? We have a rule in our home that we do not take technology in the bedroom. There's a few reasons for that. One is because when I go to sleep at night, I don't want the last thing in my mind to be what I've read on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, SMS or emails. I don't want to go to bed on any of those thoughts. When I wake up in the morning, I don't want my first thoughts to be emails, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, etc., etc. When you have your phone next to you, and that's the last thing you think of, and the first thing you think of, it's not a good foundation for good decisions. Also, I know that when you've got a girlfriend and you're lying in bed and say, hey, what are you doing? She says, I'm in bed. And you start having conversations like that, it's not going to get, it's not going to end well. You may, you may have every intention to stay pure and holy. But once you start doing that stuff, you're on a slippery slope. Do you know your weaknesses? It's a strength for you to know your weakness. You're a strong man if you know your weakness. It's a strong man that can identify their weakness know what they are and do something about it. Number four, he ignored the warning. The warning was pretty clear. You know, like when we see a sign, hot, don't touch. It's clear, wet paint. We have, we have lots of warnings. But here's the problem with us, particularly as men. We interpret warnings as a challenge. That's the problem. We see wet paint and we want to know if it's wet. And if it is wet, we want to know how wet. We don't see it as a loving warning to protect us. We just see it as a challenge to defy. Because by nature, we think we are invincible or we think we are the exception of the rule. 
that won't happen to me. And all this thinking is immature thinking that's going to lead us on a slippery slope. Peter said, I will never deny you, but that's exactly what he did because of these things not being looked at. We have real men and these moments because I love you dearly. And I want men to stop the slippery slope in our lives. Mark Driscoll was asked, what's it going to take to turn America? He said three things. Number one, get the men. Number two, get the men. Number three, get the men. Australia needs men to stand up and take their rightful place in the community, in their home, in their marriage, in society, because we by nature have been called to lead. And so we have to start making some good decisions in order to be able to lead well. He ignored the very clear warning. He also warmed himself, number five, at the wrong fire. This is something I talk about pretty much every time we get together. In other words, he was hanging with the wrong people. Now, when I say this, you're going to say, I've heard you say this before. But that's not, the, that's not the question I want to ask you. I want to ask you, what have you done with this? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. What have you done with that? I know you've heard it before, but what have we, what have we done with that? We need to audit our friends. And by friends, I mean, who do you spend the most time with? They're your friends. And who you spend the most time with will determine where you go in life. You know, I've never made a major decision on my own in my life. I've always recognised that there's a limit to my wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And to be able to draw off the wisdom of men that are in this room is a wise thing to do. We've recently moved into a new home, but I did not buy that new home without seeing Gary Williams, Andre Dantu and others. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm, I know everything about everything. Why would I not draw off the wisdom that's in this room? It's stupid not to. When I was dating a young girl that I ultimately married, I had advice about that relationship. When I bought my very first car, being a car ignoramus that I am, I realised if I go to a car yard, I'm going to buy the biggest lemon because I know nothing about cars. And so I went across the road to Uncle John. He wasn't my uncle, but he was just uncle by virtue of friendships, you know, those kind of uncles. And, and I knew he was a car enthusiast. He was a mechanic and had all that kind of background. And so I said, I need to buy a car. Can you help me buy one? And, you know, the car I wanted, I couldn't afford. But he pointed me in the right direction of a car that may not be the sexiest car out there, but it will be reliable. And as a young guy without much money, you need reliable. You don't need sexy. Sexy is going to get you in trouble. You need reliable. It's really sad for me today that because I lead a church and I've got this incredibly nice new home, people who don't know me in my history can look at our home and say, what's he been doing with the church's money? But I'm 44 years of age and I've made a lot of good, wise decisions along the way. That should be the result. We should be celebrating the result, not condemning or accusing. 
The reason I'm able to afford the home that we've got now is because when I was 16, I bought a Toyota Corona, which was not sexy. Just wasn't. And every year I would paint the car a different colour. That was my sign writing background, and so me and Dad would rub it all down and we'd just hand paint it. But our hand painting was as good as airbrushing. It was just, it was just, it was just sweet. Five years later, I sold the car for more than I paid for it. That's a good financial investment. Who buys a car and sells it for more years later? Very few people. And so if there's anything about my life that's enviable, ask yourself this, how did that happen? This is, the, this is, this is how we learn to make good decisions and bad ones, by asking good questions. And so Peter warmed himself at the wrong fire, hanging around the wrong people. I don't have to be a prophet to know that probably half the people in this room are hanging around the wrong people. So you're doomed. While you continue to hang around those you hang around with, nothing's going to change for you. You can come to these every, you can come to church, you can come to real men, you can come every time the church doors are open, it won't change your life. See, going to the gym won't change your body. It's what you do in the gym. Listening to a message like this won't change your life. It's what you do with the message. See, too many people have gone to church, done nothing with the message, leave and say, oh, I tried Christianity, I tried church, as if somehow it was the church's fault that your life didn't change. You are a product of the choices that you make. I'm a product of the choices I make. So who we choose to hang around with is an incredibly important choice that you need to make. My last point this morning is simply this. Peter lacked courage. See, he lacked courage, not faith. See, fundamentally, Peter was always loyal to Jesus. I know he was following at a distance, but he was still closer to Jesus than any of the other disciples. Peter gets a bad rap, but he was the closest one to be able to let Jesus down. The reason he let Jesus down is because he was close enough to it. The ones you are closest to are the ones who will let you down the most. My wife's probably let me down more than anybody else because she's the closest to me. That's not a bad thing. That's reality. People are swapping and changing churches because someone let them down and someone upset them. Welcome to church. You can't do life with people as close as we do. and not. Up- Paul O'Neill, he'll upset you if you get to know him. Emmerich definitely will. Ben Morris, absolutely. Never, not Richie. Richie's the man. He's just, he's a little bit of, he's a slice of heaven on earth. He's just, seriously. The reason your wife annoys the living stuffing out of you is because you're the closest person in her life. Work through your problems. Don't run, work through it. So fundamentally, Jesus, Peter was always loyal to Jesus. In actual fact, Jesus said, the devil is seeking to sift you, Peter, but I've prayed that your faith will remain strong. And you know what? Through all of that, it did. Peter's faith remained intact. What he lacked was not faith. What he lacked was courage. You've got to catch this, guys. Because courage comes and goes. 
Peter gets a bad rap at this point. But what you've got to understand is six hours earlier, he had a sword in his hand. And he cut someone's ear off. He wasn't going for the ear, he was going for the head. He was standing up for Jesus. Has anyone done that? Has anyone put them in, in harm's way to protect the brother? Swinging, punching, kicking. That's what, that's what Peter did for Jesus. And he was ready to die. At that moment, he was. He's ready to die. He was ready to honour his word that he said to Jesus, I'm ready to die. But here's the thing. When it all got broken up and the adrenaline worn off, you know, there's a story in the Old Testament where one of David's mighty men, King David was an incredible king and had all these men who were willing to die for David. And on one occasion, one guy had a sword fight with 800 men, killed them all. And he said after the fight, he couldn't let go of his sword. Do you know why? Adrenaline. He just couldn't let go of it. it doesn't, now, that doesn't mean he never let go of it. From the rest of the day, he walked around with a sword in his hand. No, it just means for an hour or two or three or a day or whatever, he just couldn't let go of it. It's just adrenaline. But that always wears off. So there's times when there's adrenaline, I'll never let you go. But when that adrenaline wears off, and Jesus is now not, not next to him, and his buddies aren't there to back him up, and he's around a whole heap of people he doesn't know, and he's tired, he's hungry, he's cold, he's confused, all the courage that he had six hours ago is gone. See, I think as men, we're looking for this elusive prayer, this elusive moment when we become men of courage. It doesn't happen. Courage comes and goes in our life. See, people, think, people that know me well think I'm strong. They don't think I'm strong. They, would, they may even say, that you're courageous, Tony. You, you say things very few people will say. And that is absolutely true. I will go there with anyone on anything. But in acknowledging that as truth does not mean that I'm always courageous. It doesn't mean that I walk with strength 24-7. I can be afraid as anything that you know and have experienced. A good question to ask me would be, how do you overcome your fear? Because what you'd need to know about me is this. This is my daily prayer. And I want to pray it for you men before we leave this place. This is my daily prayer. And sometimes I pray it four or five times during a day. I pray for wisdom. I say, God, would you grant me your wisdom? Wisdom to know what to do and when to do it. That's what wisdom is. It's knowing what to do and when to do it. That's wisdom for me. I need your wisdom, Lord. Left to my own devices, I will always do the wrong thing at the wrong time. I need your wisdom. I know what to do. I need to know what to do. I need to know when to speak, if to speak, and if so, when. I need your wisdom. Secondly, I need your courage, Lord. Courage to hold on to my convictions. You know those convictions you have? You need courage to hold on to them. And my third prayer I pray is, give me strength to walk it out because I get as afraid as any of you know how. And so I say, God, give me wisdom, give me courage, give me strength. Give me wisdom, give me courage, give me strength. And then a lot of things I do, I just do afraid. 
That's courage, doing things afraid. That's what courage is. It's not the absence of fear, it's doing it afraid. That's what makes it courage. This is why I've come to that conclusion about Peter. As a leader, I've asked people to have certain conversations with people. It's the nature of leadership. And, and there are many of you in this room who have gone to share with somebody something that needed to be addressed. And, and as you're addressing that person, you lose courage. You get on the back foot. And I know my name has been brought up and I've been thrown under the bus many times by people that love me. By people that didn't necessarily disown me. They just lost courage and they saw the person's eyes and they weren't convinced of what they were saying. They said, but, but Tony said. It happened heaps in my life. And the reason I don't react poorly is because I know what it is. It's just courage. I've done that. I've found myself backing off, throwing somebody under the bus because I just lack courage at any moment. And the best thing you can do when you do that is go back to that person and say, look, the other day, I need you to know what I said about, that's not where it's at, I just lack courage. And so Peter gets a bad rap here, but essentially he just lost courage, not his faith. And so I've shared this this morning so that we don't have to get to the place in our life like Peter did and say, how did that happen to me? If we can learn from Peter's life, and I believe Peter would want us to, and do you know why I know that? Because we know about some of these accounts. And you have to ask yourself, how do we know about some of these things that Peter did? Because no one else was there. No one was there. The disciples went, how did this get in the Scriptures? Because Peter willingly told people about his mistakes. That's what real men do. They use their life as an example of what to do and what not to do, whatever it takes in order to help others. This is what you do before the rooster crows. I want to pray. On Sunday night, as part of our Don't Waste Your Life series, which I'm really passionate about people not wasting their life, particularly men, I'm going to look at what you do after the rooster's crowed because some of you can't undo the past. And that's one of the number one reasons why people go on to waste their life because they never get over their mistakes. And I want to look at how to do that and why we need to do that on Sunday night. So this is before the rooster crows. Sunday night's after the rooster crows. It's incredible. And these are the incredible lessons brought to us by a man by the name of Peter who often gets a bad rap. I love you guys. I'm passionate about men. I'm passionate about marriage. I'm passionate about families. And for us to be the men God has called us to be, we're going to have to take messages like this very seriously. And let's have a whole heap of fun in the meantime, but let's take what's been shared this morning very serious. If you miss some of it because you were stuck on a point because God was nailing you, do something about that point. But you can always go on the website and download the message free of charge. Get onto iTunes, download it free of charge. But get this message into your spirit. I believe if you do and apply it to your life, it'll change your life. Imagine.
This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.